0: I'm Evangeline Fisher, and um, today we're going to be reading Luke 1:26 through 30. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Evangeline. It's uh, it's great to be with you worshiping today it's great to have Evangeline Fisher read God's Word for us I've known her since she was born and now to see her leading us in the reading of God's Word is, is a great is a great honor and great delight uh, I uh, want to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving hopefully you had a great weekend uh, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas I, I love this time of year um, uh, Blake was explaining earlier, we begin today this season of Advent. And Advent is when Christians celebrate what I like to call the in-between. We've tasted the coming of the Lord, but not fully. We've seen the delight that God has remembered us and that He is redeeming us to Himself, but, but not fully. And so that, that creates this enormous emotional time. It, it creates this very intense time for us. Everything is kind of bigger at Christmas because we, 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 we know that God has remembered us, but we, we haven't experienced the fullness of that. We've just tasted it. So, for example, if you've lost a loved one, that's especially hard at Christmas time the the reality that we still live in a death world that this world has not fully been redeemed hits hits home around Christmas time loneliness is always hard but loneliness around Christmas is really hard financial struggles that's always hard but financial struggles at Christmas time it's really hard why because all is supposed to be calm. All is supposed to be bright. But it's not fully. We've tasted it. We know it's out there, but not completely. But on the other side of the coin, the, the bad stuff is hard, but the good stuff's better. Uh, that's why we love to be with our families. We like to be with our families all the time, but we really love to be with our families at Christmas time. It's why, you know, your office party, I'm really looking forward to the Christ Covenant staff party. We have a staff party too. And it's awesome. I'm really looking forward to it because I love the work that I get to do and I love the people I get to do it. It's a celebration of work. It's a celebration of friendship. That is a, that is a particularly enjoyable time. The, the good stuff's better at Christmas. Romance, you ever fall in love at Christmas time? It's nothing better than love at Christmas, right? <laughs> have that special someone to to share the holidays with someone that you love. In fact, I was just yesterday, I ran into a couple in our church that just got engaged. And I was like, oh man, what a time to get engaged around the holidays. They're so happy, they're so in love. This is the advent. It's the in-between. The hard stuff's even harder. (laughs) The good stuff's even better. It's an enormously powerful time. Joy to the world. The Lord has come, but not fully. And so I'm really excited for these few moments that we have together. We don't have many Sundays in Advent, but we've got today, we've got next week, we've got the next week. We'll have our big Advent service on the 19th. And then, of course, we'll have Christmas Eve. And I'm really excited about all of these services together because I think this is a profound time to be thinking about the things of the Lord. Over the next three weeks, these three weeks that I have before the Advent service, and I'm really excited. I hope you've made plans. Advent service is going to be at the Buckhead Theater again. We're going to have a morning and an evening. It's going to be amazing. But I hope that, uh, but these next three weeks that we have leading up to the Advent service, now I want to talk with you about something that we, we probably don't think about enough at Christmas time. We think about the story of the advent, of the coming of Christ, as the fulfillment of the Old Testament narrative. And we should, it is that, and it's very powerful in its fulfillment. We think about the incarnation of Christ, the fact that God came to dwell among us, that Jesus was made man and came to live among us. We think about the actual story of Christmas, the Virgin Mary, the shepherds, the angels. But over the next three weeks, I want to think about the Advent story with you as a Trinitarian moment. I want us to think about the Advent of our Lord as a Trinitarian act. To understand each of the three members of the Trinity are involved in the coming of Christ. It's not that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, just had this idea all by himself and said, I'm going to go off and redeem humanity. And we did come. But it was the Holy Spirit who empowered his life and ministry on earth. It was the Father who sent his Son to come. And so, I wanna look at that idea today, the sending Father idea. And and there's three things from this passage that, uh, that I think we can explore today, and there's a lot more. But three things in particular. First of all, messengers from the Father. Secondly, our posture toward the Father. And then finally, the Father's posture towards us. So let's look at messengers from the Father. Now, one of the most profound features, of course, of this narrative is that in Nazareth, the angel Gabriel comes to visit the Virgin Mary, and she receives this very special message from the Lord. It must have been an amazing moment. Obviously, you can imagine it. I know we're, I think next week we have a, Israel interest meeting, you can actually still go in Nazareth to the church that commemorates where Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel. And, and I, as I thought about this idea of the messengers that come from the Lord and these angels that come to visit humanity, I had to discipline myself a little bit and not to do this whole study of angels. But just a few thoughts on angels. Angels are created beings, just like we are. Um And like us, they were created for God's glory. We also learn from Scripture that angels make decisions that have consequences. We we learn this from the idea of the fallen angels. Now, there are real consequences for decisions that angels make. So in a very real sense, like us, angels are called to obey the Father, to listen to the Father's voice, to obey what the Father calls them to do. Now, unlike us, angels exist namely in the spiritual realm, not in the physical realm. Another very interesting thing, I think one of the things that angels teach us is there's actually no pathway of redemption for angels so far as we know. There's no sort of story of God redeeming his angels. It seems that the decision of sin among the fallen angels is a final one. There is no grace offered to Lucifer, to demons, these fallen angels after their sins. And angels do many things, there's more I can say about angels here, but one of the things that they do is they deliver messages from God to humans, and probably most famously here. I mean, of all the angels, if you said, name one angel, I think most people would, the first name would be, Gabriel. I know him. Now, while this is an ancient story, this sentiment feels pretty modern. And I hear people all the time, I think that we can learn something from this looking for something like this, some extra special revelation from God. We all want a Gabriel. When I was younger in my faith, I would pray a lot of prayers like this. Lord, send me this extra special revelation. Would you just tell me this? You know, I often would say, tell me the girl I'm going to marry. I don't have to marry her right now. I just want to know who she is so I can be looking out for her, right? Tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do. Tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do here. And I want it very clear, Lord. I want it very direct, right? Just like this. And of course, as I grew in my faith, I realized how arrogant this posture is toward the Lord and toward the revelation of God. There are certainly times in Scripture where we see God giving a very precise, an extra special revelation, if you will, to his people, But it's not normative. It's not the normal pattern of how God reveals himself. And this is true in modern times, and it's also true in ancient times. I hear people saying all the time, I wish God would just speak how he did in biblical times. But you have to remember that these revelations that we read about in the Bible, these extra special revelations, they aren't the full experience of God and his people. Most of the time. Throughout most of the history of God's people, people are just having to trust and listen to and follow after and obey what God has revealed, what we see recorded in Scripture. This is the normative way of God's interaction with His people, that His people would just follow what He has revealed, what He's spoken in the writings and the prophets, what God has revealed. Revealed. We would just follow it faithfully. Now, the Lord may send an angel to you, but as we see in this text, it it certainly is not this maybe lovely experience that you may have in mind. It's certainly not something that you would miss, right? Never in the Bible do angels come around and, and it's this quiet kind of whispery thing. No, it's this very profound, loud, big, terrifying thing. But God may send a messenger. In fact, right now in the Muslim world, we, there's many accounts of God in, in dreams and visions in some way, sending messengers to people. It's opening their heart to begin to receive the gospel and come to faith in Christ. But I would just say that it's typically in places, that's the pattern has typically been in places where there is not an excess of God's revelation. We are not really in one of those places. We are in a place where the revealed word of God, the revealed truth of God is all around us all the time. And, and so the question I would ask you is what is your posture to that? You now, a lot of people say, well, I want a Gabriel moment, but, but, but I would say what is your posture to what God has already revealed? How do you approach what God has already said to you? Are you, are you hungering and thirsting After the revelation of God, God in his kindness has, if you're in Christ, given you the Holy Spirit to fill your life, to lead you in all truth. He's given you his word. He's spoken to you his word. He's given you a community of faith that we can discern his truth along with. What is your posture toward these things? Do you hunger and thirst for what God has already revealed? I was having a conversation with a guy last week. And he was facing this big decision. And so I sat down with him and we went through things that we know God values, things that we know are true about the nature of God, things that we know are are true about what God desires for his people. And we started going through scripture and listing these things out. And we started putting some definition around his decision. And, And in my mind, it became pretty clear of what decision he was supposed to make. And he said, well, gosh, this all sounds good, but I wish God would just give me a message. I wish God would just give me a map. And I said to him, I was like, maybe that's exactly what God is doing right now. Through his word, two brothers sitting down together talking about what God has spoken. And I just want to say there's, there's, nothing, there's, there's, there's nothing that's unspecial about this. This is normative, but it's amazing, this is where the wisdom of God lies. This is where God can really move in your life and really call you to be a part of his redemptive plan. My, my point in saying all of this is this. I find people all the time saying, well, if God would only speak to me in this way or this way or this way, the point is God has spoken, he is calling. This is an amazing moment in history where God invites this virgin to be a part of his redemptive plan but I just would say that today, even right now, is an amazing moment in history when God is inviting you to be a part of His redemptive plan. Are you responding to that? Are you listening to His word? Are you awake to what He is speaking? This is a beautiful and wonderful thing. What is our posture toward what God has said to us? But the second thing that we see <coughs> in this passage is our posture toward the Father. Again, I think that we can have a misunderstanding of how powerful the presence of an angel is. This angel, Gabriel, comes to Mary. He is reflecting the glory of God. And Mary is afraid. And we've been talking a lot about the fear of the Lord, if you've been with us. It's come up over and over in the Nehemiah passage, in the Nehemiah study, and even before in the Decision Grid series series. How do you encounter the Lord? What is your posture toward the Lord, toward the Father? We've, uh, I, one of the things I love about Christmas, one of the things everybody loves about Christmas is the music. And it's profound music. It, it speaks to us in these wonderful ways. We, we, we are so blessed at Christ's covenant to have all of these amazing songwriters. And of course we had Matt Papa with us, who I think is just one of the greatest songwriters. Jordan Coughlin, also one of the greatest songwriters. Will Carlisle, guys. Have y'all heard any songs Will's written? Will's an amazing songwriter. We have all these great songwriters. And I'm so grateful for them because there's something about music. There's something about a, a Christian song or a Christian hymn that can communicate truth about God in this incredibly powerful way. And, and, and the Christian songs, the Christmas songs, rather, are, are particularly palatable. We, we were having a discussion this week in our creative meeting about Christmas carols, and I think it was said by several people that their favorite hymn, their favorite hymn ever, is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. In fact, I think somebody said it's the greatest Christian hymn ever written. And it is a powerful hymn. Charles Wesley, one of the lines that just grabs me, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Does anything encapsulate Christmas better than that little sentence? Or even just the powerful sentence of this, God and sinners reconciled. What a great one-liner to think about, that you as a sinner could be reconciled, made one with God. It's a powerful idea. I love Hark the Herald Angels Sing, but my favorite song is not that. My favorite hymn is another Charles Wesley hymn, this is Jason Dees personally, called And Can It Be, and and we don't sing this enough, but I love the song And Can It Be, there's many lines in it that grab me, but I love the end of the song. Charles Wesley, in the end of the song, takes us to the throne of God, which is a good place to end a hymn. If you ever write a hymn, end it around the throne of God, okay? And that's what Wesley does. He, he ends it around the throne of God. And, and, and whenever I sing the song, and we'll talk about some of the hymn lines later, but whenever I sing the song, I kind of get in my picture this moment, the, the, the end of time, the, the, the day of days, the last day, when we, the people of God are around the throne of God in this huge arena, if you will. Millions of people from all tribes and tongues around the throne of God. And in that moment... From the throne, your name is called. I think that's a great mental image for the Christian to kind of process. What is your posture toward God on the last day? On the day when your name is called, when you're standing there in front of the almighty creator of the universe and your name is called out. God, who knows all things in front of all of his people, and your name is called. Why does that hit you? How does that strike you? How do you respond to that? I think it's a great thing to think through. I think for a lot of us, it's fear, (coughs) awe, terror. But I think it tells you a lot about your relationship with the Father, what kind of emotion you have. When your name is called on the last day. You see, if we only know God as the Creator, we of course are afraid of Him. In fact, as John Calvin says, we even kind of despise Him. John Calvin talks a lot about knowing God in different ways and what does it mean to know God as the Creator? And there is this kind of dread. If you only know God, As Creator, if you only know God as the Creator, there's this kind of dread that ultimately makes you want to avoid Him. Really, that makes you kind of want to stay away from Him. We we instinctively, I believe, know that if God is our Creator, if we've been created by God, then our whole existence, the whole of who we are, is owed to Him. Right? If He created us, then there's a sense where we owe something to Him. We are His Our life must exist for Him. And I also think instinctively and intrinsically we know that we, we can't live up to that. We don't honor Him like we should. We, we don't love Him like we should. Our lives are not surrounding Him as they should. This is Paul's argument in Romans 1 and 2. I wish I had time to go through the whole argument, but just one verse of that passage. This is from Romans one twenty one. He says, For although they knew God right? They could perceive that they had been created by God, that they knew there was something outside of themselves that they owed to. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. I think this is our posture. This is Kind of our natural posture toward God, maybe particularly God the Father, if we only know him as creator, we, we may know him with a sense of awe, we may know him with a sense of fear, we may know him with a sense of respect, but we don't know him with a sense of love. John Owen writes this of the Father, he says, commonly the Father, the first person of the Trinity, is seen as full of wrath and anger against sin. Sinful men can have no other thoughts of God. It's interesting, right? I mean, that that is kind of true, right? When you think of the Father, it's like, oh, the Father. I mean, He's the angry one of the Trinity. He's kind of the mean one. Watch out for Him. You you know, Jesus is nicer. The Holy Spirit is is kinder. Those are the members of the Trinity you're only one hanging. But the Father, He's full of wrath and anger. And as Owen says, sinful men can have no other thoughts of God. I think this is the nature of knowing God only as creator. If you know God only as creator, eventually you come to this point where you say, okay, I've fallen short of him. And what can I do? You know, Martin Luther famously was caught in a a thunderstorm. and, And his response to that was to go to the monastery. He had a glimpse of the power and the awe and the terror of God in this thunderstorm. And so he goes to this monastery, St. Augustine Monastery in Erfurt, Germany. If you ever still there, if you've ever had a chance, if you're ever passing through Erfurt, stop by. And it's very powerful. And Luther went there and he was, he was the monk of monks. He ate less than everybody. He worked harder than everybody. All the other monks didn't like him because he made them all look bad. He wouldn't even take his blanket. I just think about this. If you go there, you can see where Luther slept. And it's the cold stone floor of this monastery. And I'm thinking of all these cold German winters. He wouldn't even take his blanket. He, he was the monk of monks. Why? Because he, he was trying to get in good with God. He, he realized God is creator. He realized he owed everything to God. He realized that God was holy and that was good and that he was not. And, and so he tried, he gave all of his effort, he knew his heart, but no matter what he did, he couldn't please God. And he certainly didn't love God. In fact, Luther even said secretly in his heart he despised God because he couldn't please him. Because he couldn't, he always fell short of him. He was only afraid of God. But John Owen goes on he says, commonly, the Father, the first person in the Trinity, is seen only full of wrath and anger against sins, and full men can have no other thoughts of God. But then he says this, but in the gospel, God is now revealed, especially the Father. Hear this, the, the scary member of the Trinity, now in the gospel, the Father is revealed especially as love as full of love to us. To bring home to us this great truth is the special work of the gospel. And this is what John Calvin wrote about when he said that we in the gospel know God not only as creator, which can bring awe and fear and wonder and dread, but not love, we know, we know God not only as creator, but also when we know God as redeemer. By knowing God the Father as the one who loved us, as the one who initiated love towards us, as the one who sent Jesus to die for us. The sending Father. This is the special work of of the Gospel. Do you know that? Do you know the Father like that? What is your posture toward the Father? Do you know Him only as Creator? As one who we are rightly intimidated by? As one who we rightly dread? Or do you know Him as Redeemer? Do do you know Him as the one who is initiated a redemptive work with you. Which brings me to the third point, God's posture toward us. This angel, the glory of God, comes to Mary, and she's terrified until the angel says this. Hear these words. These are so important. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You are the favored one by God. You know, I got to hang out, (coughs) excuse me, I got to hang out with my dad over Thanksgiving. And if you know me well, you know I love John Dees. I love hanging out with my dad. We have a great relationship, and uh, I'm just so grateful for him. I I love any chance I get to hang out with him because, and here's the thing, here's what I love about hanging out with my dad, is I can feel his favor. My dad loves me. He favors me, he dotes on me, he praises me. You know, I, I, I have to work hard to get you guys to say a nice thing to me, but not my dad, you know. He just says, son, I love you so much, I'm so proud of you, oh man, that's great. I went golfing with my dad on Friday. I'm a bad golfer, but every shot, my dad's like, that's a great shot, son. <laughs> well done. I love John Dees, I, I feel his favor. It's it's awesome. Even though I'm old now, right? And this shouldn't really matter to me anymore. It does. I love it. I love to experience the favor of my father. But in a much grander way, this is the invitation of the gospel. That you would be called the favored one by your heavenly father. To know God as creator, yes, the all-powerful, all-wise, all-good creator who spoke the world into existence, who is sovereign over all things, but to know that this Father favors you. When that happens in your life, that totally changes your posture toward the Lord. When you realize His posture toward you, that you are the one He is Favored, But how has God shown us this favor, right? How do we go as his created beings that we can't live up to his expectations for us? We can't live up to all that we have been given by him. How do we go from that to the ones who he has favored? And this is the special work of the gospel. God has shown us this love in that while we were sinners... While there was nothing we could do, sleep on a stone floor, eat the rations, do the work, there was nothing we could do to earn God's favor, he willingly sent us Jesus. He willingly sent us his son, Jesus, the one who had all of his favor. You know the famous blessing from Romans, Romans, Numbers 6, I read it at weddings a lot. I'm sure you've heard it. Some of you may have said this to you at Thanksgiving. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance to you and give you peace. Jesus was the only one in his birth, in his humanity, that this was true of that always received the blessing of God, that the, 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 the face of the Lord was always shining toward him, that the countenance of the Lord was always pleased in him. Jesus is the only one that only ever always lived in the shalom, the peace of God. But the message of the gospel is this, and I, and I want you to hear this, that the Father, the first person of the Trinity, initiated this love to you By sending Jesus, we read in Ephesians 2, God, God the Father, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive with Christ by grace You have been saved. The Father, the first person of the Trinity, initiated this redemptive work. He sent his son, Jesus. This is what Christmas is all about. Jesus, the only one who ever had the countenance of the Father fully upon him because of his obedience. As we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Father, for our sake, Made Jesus, the one with whom he was totally pleased, made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, who had never sinned, who only had the delight of the Father upon him. God made him to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God for our sake, because the Father loved you, the Father sent his Son. Jesus always lived with the face of the Father shining upon him. He always lived in the favor of the Father toward him. And he went to the cross and took on the record of all our sin. He traded places with us. And I want you to hear this. The one who the face of God was always pleased with, who always lived in the blessing of God, who always lived in the peace of God, became a curse. Became an outcast. The Father turned his face away from the Son on the cross. Not on account of his record, but account of your record, on account of my record. For our sake, the Son was put out. The Son was crushed so that we could be brought in, so that we could be redeemed. Let me tell you this. I love you. I love you as a pastor. I love you as a friend. But I just want to say right now, I don't love you like this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask one of my children to be in pain for any of you. I certainly wouldn't cause them to be in pain. I certainly wouldn't ask them to die for any of you. What kind of love is this? That the Father would love you and me so much to send His beloved Son, the one whose countenance was always on Him, the one who always delighted to obey the Father to trade places with us, for Him to be put out so that we could be brought in. The Father was so willing to put His hatred of sin upon His own Son, Jesus, so that His favor could be upon you that is a love that I really can't even understand we're going to sing a song as we close called the everlasting love of God and one of the words and I think I want you when you sing this word I want you to think about it it says it's immense how immense is the love of the father God was willing to put your record of sin on his son so that his favor toward his son could come to you And now in Christ, you and I can hear these words. Listen, greetings, favored one. You are the favored one. You are the one who has the favor of the Father upon you. Do you know the Father like this? Do you know the Father like this? Have you felt his love like this, not only as creator, but also as redeemer, What comes to your mind when you think of God the Father is it, to quote Owen, God is now revealed especially as love, as full of love to us. In Christ, the favor of the Father comes to you. I never finished my Charles Wesley and Can It Be Him story. We're there in the throne room. We're there around the throne of God. All the multitudes gathered. And your name is called. God knows everything about you. And your name is called in front of all the millions, all the multitudes. And Wesley gets it right. How do you respond? And the words of the song say, bold, bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Whenever you see my children around here, you know how they run up to me? Boldly. They don't care if you're talking to me. They don't care. They run up to me. They give me a hug. They want to play sports. They want to do something. They want to to hang out. Why? Because they know that my favor is upon them. And so no matter what, they, can come, they, they, they know that they can come to me. They know that the Father, that my love is toward them. Is this how you can come to the Father? Bold, I approach the eternal throne of God and claim a crown that is mine in Christ. Bold, when, when your name is called out, when all is known about you <coughs> before Almighty God, Are you so confident that your sin has been done away with by Christ and that you know the father as your redeemer, that you can stand up and say, the crown is mine in Christ. The crown is mine in Christ. Bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ, my own. And then you have to respond how Wesley responds. Amazing love. How can it be? that thou, my God, has died for me. Do you know the Father like this? Do you you only know the Father as creator, right? Are you here because you're like, okay, maybe I can kind of earn back what I've fallen short of? And I just want to say, if that's your posture toward the Father, you can never really love him. You'll actually only despise him because he'll be this taskmaster that'll never let up on you. Because you can't can't please him. There's too much sin in your life. There's too much sin in my life. But if you know him as a father, as a redeemer, who's done everything to call you to himself so that his favor could rest upon you in Christ, then you can really love him. And you can know that he loves you. Let's pray. Father, I... I pray to you now as your son, as a son who, because of the grace of Jesus, has been redeemed, has been made well, has been made whole, has been made right. I pray to you now as a favored son, not because of my obedience or of my purity of heart, but because of faith because of repentance and faith, because in faith I look to Jesus who has brought me in. Because he was put out, I can come in. So Father, thank you for this hope that we have in Jesus the Lord. I pray that your love toward us, your posture of redemption toward us would be full in our lives, even right now. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.